Welcome to Sober Discussions. This is Steve and Mike, and sometimes you just need to take out the trash. Hello, and welcome to Sober Discussions. Today we'll be covering a pretty heavy topic, so we wanted to give a disclaimer out early. Today's episode is the Myanmar edition. We'll cover the history of Myanmar, and then cover a more recent topic that I thought was more was important to cover, so let's get started. I wanted to cover the history of Myanmar. There's a lot of information, so I wanted to cover the most pertinent before we get into political unrest. I thought it was a good idea to start with Myanmar independence. I found some good information from Wikipedia. Of course, we'll include this link in our blog. Uh, just before we get started with that, though, I thought it was beneficial to share where exactly Myanmar is. Uh, you probably know where Thailand is, or at least heard of it. Cambodia, India, Bangladesh. These are all neighboring countries of that. And the biggest one is obviously China. Which is just, I would say, what would you say, Mike, northeast? Yeah. Give or take? Northeast. So that's kind of where we're at right now, just so you have an idea of the geography. <clears throat> yeah, this will, uh, this will be an interesting uh, podcast. I, prior to today, had never heard of the country myself, so let's dive in. Yeah, it'll, it'll get a little crazy. So we're going to start with uh, independence. So on the 4th of January in 1948... The nation became an independent republic under the terms of Burma Independence Act in 1947. The new country was named the Union of Burma with Soa Shua Taik and its first president, you, <laughs> you, <know>. you knew, <laughs> as its first prime minister, unlike most other former British colonies and overseas territories, Burma did not become a member of the Commonwealth, a bicameral parliament was formed, consisting of a chamber of deputies and a chamber of nationalities, and a multi-party election were held in 1951 to 1952, 1956, and 1960. The geographical area Burma encompasses today can be traced to the Panglong Agreement, which combined Burma proper, which consisted of Lower Burma and Upper Burma, and the frontier areas, which has been administrated separately by the British. In 1961, Yu the Union of Burma's uh, permanent representative to the United Nations and former secretary to the Prime Minister, was elected Secretary General of the United Nations, a position held he held for 10 years. Among the Burmese to work at the UN when he was Secretary General was Aung San Suu Kyi, daughter of Aung San, who went on to become winner of the 1990 when the non-Burman non ethnic groups pushed for autonomy or federalism alongside having a weak civilian government at the center. The military leadership staged a... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. The military leadership staged a coup... De Etat in 1962. Though incorporated in the 1947 Constitution, successive military governments construed the use of the term federalism as being anti-national, anti-unity, and pro-disintegration. Pretty interesting stuff. Seems like uh, the government at this point in time isn't very good. Yeah. If I'm taking an educated guess. Right. Well, a coup, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Well... It's interesting because they say history repeats itself, right? Yes. So, we're actually going to see this happen in full circle, actually. Uh, but if we can go down uh, to military rule. On the 2nd of March in 1962, 
The military led by General Ni Win took control of Burma through a coup, and the government had been under direct or indirect control by the military since then. Between 1962 and 1974, Myanmar was ruled by a revolutionary council headed by the general, with almost all aspects of society, business, media, production, were nationalized or brought under government control under the Burmese way to socialism, which combines Soviet-style nationalism and central planning. A new constitution of the Socialist Republic of the Union of Burma was adopted in 1974 until 1988. The country was ruled as a one-party system, with the general and other military officials resigning and ruling through the Burma Socialist Program Party, the BSPP, during this period, Myanmar became one of the world's most impoverished nations. There were sporadic protests against military rule during the Nguyen years, and these were almost always violent. On 7th of July of 1962, the government broke up demonstrations of Ragoon University killing 15 students. In 1974, the military violently suppressed anti-government protests at the funeral of Uthant. Students' protests in 1975, 1976, and 1977 were quickly suppressed by overwhelming force. In 1988, unrest over economic mismanagement and political oppression by the government led to widespread pro-democracy demonstrations through the country known as the 8888 Uprising. Security forces killed thousands of demonstrators, and General Sa Meng staged a coup and formed the State Law and Order Restoration Council, or the SLORC, in 1989. SLORC declared martial law and widespread protests. The military government finalized plans for People's Assembly election on the 31st of May in 1989. SLORC changed the country's official English name from the Socialist Republic of the Union of Burma to the Union of Myanmar in 18th June of 1989 by enacting the adaption of the expression law. <laughs> As you were reading all that, mm -hmm. uh, my mind kept saying, this sounds like martial law. This, And then all of a sudden, there was... Jiminy freaking Christmas. Imagine <laughs> how that happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy to see like so they killed what like fifteen students they said uh -huh. so they killed fifteen students and then they said they killed like over a thousand people thousands right? of demonstrators well when it's called the eight 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 uprising yeah it makes me wonder if that's how many people died oh okay so it's because it occurred on August eighth of nineteen eighty eight August eighth of nineteen eighty eight so. But it did say thousands were killed. Not hundreds, but thousands. Thousands of demonstrators. Plural thousands. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so the, the 15 students that they had, uh, they were really successful in it. And they thought, well, if we just kill them, then they'll be done, right? Because mm -hmm. it worked so well in the past. They won't get in the way. Right. It's pretty crazy. So Quote, unquote. Yeah, which is why I thought it was important. Um, yeah, yeah. Especially with kind of what's been going on with uh, kind of interesting stuff. Uh, in May 1990, the government held free multi-party elections for the first time in almost 30 years. And the National League of Democracy, the NLD, the party of Aung San Suu Kyi. There's that name again. Mm -hmm. It'll keep coming up. One earning, earning 
392 out of the total of 492 seats. That's about 80% of the seats. However, the military junta, remember that name, refused to cede power and continued to rule the nation as SLORC until 1997, and then as the State Peace and Development Council, the SPDC, until it dissolved in March 2011, which is pretty recent, Mm -hmm. right? On 23rd June 1997, Myanmar was admitted into the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. On the 27th of March in 2006, the military junta, which had moved the national capital from Yangon to a site near Pinimana in November of 2005, officially named the new capital Da, meaning City of the Kings. Protesters in Yangon during the 2007 Saffron Revolution with a banner that reads Nonviolence National Movement in Burmese in the background of Shwendangan Pagoda. In August of 2007, an increase in the price of fuel led to Saffron Revolution led by Buddhist monks that were dealt with harshly by the government. The government cracked down on them on 26th of September 2007, which reports of barricades in Schwinden Pagoda and monks killed. There were also rumors of disagreements within the Burmese armed forces, but none were confirmed. The military crackdown against unarmed protesters was widely condemned as part of the international reactions to the Saffron Revolution and led to an increase in economic sanctions against the Burmese government. Mike, any thoughts on that? Just kind of sounds like nothing's getting better. I mean, yeah, there it's been constant feuds this whole time, and up until I guess the most recent that we talked about was two thousand seven. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've been they've been fighting for their independence. I would say still fighting for their independence even to this day. Yeah, and I, I'm looking back at uh, where we started. I mean, 1948 is when we started uh, looking mm-hmm. at all this, and 1962 is when military rules started coming into play, and right. that's through 2011. It sounds 2011. like that's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would still say it's still the 2021 technically, but that's a long yeah. struggle. Definitely. I, yeah, that's got to suck for all those people. Burmese government. Yep. So, in May of 2008, Cyclone Nargis caused extensive damage in the densely populated rice farming delta of the Iridwe Division. It was the worst natural disaster in Burmese history, with reports of an estimated 200,000 people dead or missing. Damages totaled to 10 billion U.S. dollars, and as many as 1 million were left homeless. In the critical days following this disaster, Myanmar's isolationist government was accused of hindering United Nations recovery efforts. Humanitarian aid was requested, but concerns about foreign military or intelligence presence in the country delayed the entry of the United States military planes delivering medicine, food, and other supplies. In early 2009, a conflict broke out in San State in northern Myanmar for several weeks. Junta troops brought fought against ethnic minorities, including the Han Chinese, Wa and Keshin, during 8 to 12th of August, the first days of the conflict, as many as 10,000 Burmese civilians fled to Yunnan in neighboring China. 
1988 unrest over economic mismanagement and political oppression by the government led to widespread pro-democracy demonstrations throughout the country known as the 8888 uprising. Security forces killed thousands of demonstrators and General Sa Mong staged a coup and formed the state law of order restoration council in 1989. SLORC declared martial law after widespread protests. The military government finalizes plans for People's Assembly election on the 31st of May in 1989. SLORC changed the country's official name from the Socialist Republic of Union of Burma to the Union of Myanmar in 18 June 1989 by enacting the adaption for the expression law. It's weird because I feel like you read that paragraph I before. I think so. So we've, we've got a couple of things, right? The 8888 we talked about mm-hmm. for being August 8th of 1988. Yeah. Right? And that's when we had thousands of demonstrators uh, murdered by its own government. We had um, like 200,000 people that law that was it dead, dead or missing, dead or missing from the cyclone. Yeah. yeah. From this cyclone. So we got this giant like hurricane like came through and just wiped out, you know, a whole lot of stuff. The Myanmar's government was still so tyrannically ridiculous that they were preventing the United Nations and the United States from helping its own people. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So, I would say those are the highlights from that. Not not in a good way. Yeah, <laughs> no, just, yeah, based on, you know, what we were reading. Um, but there are people that are trying to protest. They are trying to change. They're trying to tell the government, hey, this is not okay. But because it's so tyrannical and because it's so um, militarized, it's just... <laughs> What can you do? Yeah. Yeah. Other than change the government. Right. I mean, other than that, that's pretty slim to Straight nothing up, else. Yeah. So. Civil War Revolution. I it's, mean, that's what it would take. Mm-hmm. Which, that's, that's our next topic. That's our next topic. So that's a good segue for sure, Mike, if you can. Civil wars have been a constant feature of Myanmar's social-political landscape since the attainment of independence in 1948. These wars are predominantly struggles for ethnic and subnational autonomy, with the areas surrounding the ethnical, the ethnically Bamar central districts of the country serving as the primary geographical setting of conflict. Foreign journalists and visitors require a special travel permit to visit the areas in which Myanmar's civil wars continue. It's probably wise. Huh, weird. <clears throat> In October 2012, the ongoing conflicts on Myanmar included the Kachin conflict between the pro-Christian Kachin Independence Army and the government, a civil war between the Rohingya Muslims and the government and non-government groups in Rakhine State, uh, and a conflict between the Shan, Lahu, and Karen mini- uh, minority groups and the government in the eastern half of the country. In addition, Al-Qaeda uh, signaled an intention to become involved in Myanmar. In a video released on September 3, 2014, mainly addressed to India, the militant group's leader Ayman al-Zawahiri said al-Qaeda had not forgotten the Muslims of Myanmar 
and that the group was doing what they can to rescue you. Quote unquote. In response, the military raised its level of alertness while the Burmese Muslim Association is issued a statement saying Muslims would not tolerate any threat to their motherland. Armed conflict between ethnic Chinese rebels and the Myanmar armed forces resulted in the Koking Offensive in February 2015. The conflict had forced 40,000 to 50,000 individuals to flee their homes and seek shelter on the Chinese side of the border. During the incident, the government of China was accused of giving military assistance to the ethnic Chinese rebels. Burmese officials have been historically manipulated and pressured by the Chinese government throughout Burmese modern history to create closer and uh, binding ties with China, creating a Chinese satellite state in Southeast Asia. However, uncertainties exist as clashes between Burmese troops and local insurgent groups continue. Pretty crazy stuff. So, um, we know that we've had such political unrest that we've had like forty to 50,000 civilians from Myanmar flee to a different mm-hmm. country. Probably so they wouldn't be murdered or killed. <laughs> They're terrified for their lives, I, I would imagine. Yeah, so yeah. lots of things going on there. Um, China is trying to um, leverage their weight, so to speak, mm-hmm. into Myanmar, so it's kind of a mess right now. But uh, what, what it's saying is more of what it has, is that it's continuing on into uh, 2014, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> 2015, things like And that's only six years ago. Yeah, that's right? not long at all. So that was the biggest <clears throat> thing that I wanted to make a point on. But Still going. Still going. So, um, more recent, we're going to go into the democratic reforms. The goal of the Burmese constitutionalist referendum of 2008 held a, on the 10th of May of 2008, in the creation of a disciplined, flourishing democracy as part of the referendum process, the name and the country was changed from the Union of Myanmar to the Republic of the Union of Myanmar, and general elections would help under the new constitution in 2010. Observer accounts of the 2010 election described the event as mostly peaceful. However, allegations of polling station irregularities irregularities, and the United Nations and a number of Western countries condemned the elections as fraudulent. U.S. President Barack Obama and Secretary of State Hillary Clinton with Aung San Suu Kyi yet again yeah, again, and her staff at her home at Yangon in 2012. The military-backed Union Solidarity and Development Party declared victory in 2010 elections, stating that it had been favored by 80% of the votes. However, the claim was disputed by numerous pro-democracy opposition groups who asserted that the military regime had engaged in rampant fraud one report documented 77% of the official turnout rate of the election. The military junta was dissolved on the 30th of March in 2011. Opinions differ whether the transition to the liberal democracy is underway. According to some reports, the military presence continues to label disciplined democracy, suggests. This label asserts that the Burmese military is allowed, allowing certain civil liberties while clandestinely institutionalizing itself further into Burmese politics. Such as assertion assumes that reforms only occurred when the military was able to safeguard its own interests through 
the transition here. Transition does not refer to a transition to a liberal democracy, but a transition to a quasi-military rule. Huh, weird that we keep coming up with that mm -hmm. throughout this thing. Since the 2010 election, the government has embarked on a series of reforms to direct the country towards liberal democracy, a mixed economy, and reconciliation. Although doubts persist about the motives that underpin such reforms, the series of reforms include the release of pro-democracy leader Aung San Suu Kyi from house arrest and established the National Human Rights Commission, the granting of the general amnesties for more than 200 political prisoners, new labor laws that permit labor unions and strikes and relaxation of press censorship and the regulation of currency practices. The impact of post-election reforms have been observed in numerous areas, including ASEANS approval of Myanmar's bid for the position of the chair in 2014, the visit by United States Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in December 2011 for the encouragement for further progress, which was the first visit by a Secretary of State in more than 50 years, during which President Bill Clinton met with the Burmese president and former military commander Thien Sien, as well as opposition leader Aung San Suu Kyi as the participation of Aung San Suu Kyi's NLD party in 2012 by election, facilitated by the government's abolition of the laws that previously barred the NLD. In 2012, by election, the NLD won 43 of the 45 available seats. Previously an illegal organization, the NLD had not won a single seat under the new constitution. 2012, by election, were also the first time that international representatives were allowed to monitor the voting process in Myanmar. So, a um, few things that happen. So, we've now we've got the U.S. that are trying to help Myanmar have democracy. It's what they want. You have a totalitarian government that just happens to be all military at this point, where they say, like, only like two, like how many seats? Like it was like illegal at some point, right? Yeah, the NLD was previously an illegal organization, but they yeah they won forty three of the forty five seats. Yeah, which it didn't seem like they had any to begin with. So it seems like things are changing. Things are for at least having a sense of laws to shield people from a tyrannical government. Is what they were trying to do. Which is... In my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a, a good step. Yeah. Uh, which is good, because previously we didn't even have uh, any equal representation at that point. Because it was illegal, right? Yeah. And, and it, it was just mainly uh, military running everything. So, that was crazy. Um, let's jump to the 2015 elections, Mike. General elections were held on November 8th, 2015... These were the first openly contested elections held in Myanmar since the 1990 general election. The results gave the NLD an absolute majority of seats in both chambers of the national parliament, enough to ensure that its candidate would become president, while NLD leader Aung San Suu Kyi is constitutionally barred from the presidency. The new parliament convened on February 1, 2016, and on March 5, 15, 2016, Hatin Kya was elected as the first non-military president since the military coup of 1962. On uh, the 6th of April 2016, 
Aung San Suu Kyi assumed the newly created role of state councillor, a role akin to a prime minister. Which he should have been president to begin with. So you're still seeing oppression from the government, uh, preventing even people that were elected to even do the job. Yeah. They were supposed to. And they're like, oh, well, we'll put you as prime minister. Whatever. There's not much that you can do at this point other than try to make changes so you can do that peacefully without having a civil war. So um, any kind of thoughts about the history of Myanmar before we get into more Sounds recent? sucky. Yeah, it's, uh, I would say, less than ideal circumstances, to very say much, the least. Yeah, very much so. Um, <laughs> between having you know, uh, a hurricane wipe out 200,000 people and having an oppressive government that wouldn't even let you get help to murdering thousands of people that were protesting your corrupt government to not even really being uh, a, a democratic... I mean, even to this point, I mean, you're still seeing, like, a military being, like, like heavily pressed into the the government of Myanmar. So I would say there wasn't really a whole lot of democracy to be had at this point. Mm-mm. So um, let's go to something more recent. So this is going to be on February 1st of 2021. Mike, if you can play that for us. Just over a month ago. Mm-hmm. Book example of a military coup. Troops showing up before dawn at the homes of elected lawmakers in Myanmar, arresting them in the dark. No, 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 no. An announcement read out on the military-owned TV channel, declaring that this man, military chief Min An Hang, is assuming control of the government. The state of emergency is in effect nationwide, and the duration of the state of emergency is set to one year. Now detained and held incommunicado, the country's de facto leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, along with the president and a growing number of other top government officials from her National League for Democracy Party. We've also heard that, you know, activists, some student leaders, um, politicians from around the country, not just in Naypyidaw and Yangon, they've been taken. And, you know, there's just no way to verify where they are or what they're doing. For many in Myanmar, the military's shocking power play is a traumatic reminder of what up until 2015 had been more than a half century of military dictatorship where any public dissent was brutally crushed. It's devastating because now people are wondering, are we going to live under another five to seven decades of this shadow over us? During military rule, Suu Kyi became an international symbol of Myanmar's pro-democracy movement winning a Nobel Peace Prize while under house arrest in Yangon for some 15 years. That changed in 2015 when the military finally allowed the country's first modern democratic elections. The people who had decided that they must be involved in the political process of this country. People celebrated in the streets after Suu Kyi and her party won by a landslide. She entered an uneasy power-sharing agreement with the military. But excitement over Myanmar's transition to civilian rule faded in 2017 amid disturbing scenes of hundreds of thousands of members of the Rohingya Muslim ethnic minority fleeing across the border to Bangladesh to escape a brutal military crackdown. Dalan Sun Suu Kyi, was there ethnic cleansing in Rakhine State? Mm-hmm. 
The Nobel Peace Prize winner defended the military, rejecting accusations of genocide. On November 8, 2020, the people of Myanmar went back to the ballot box in another national election. Despite the threat of COVID-19, they voted in huge numbers, expanding Suu Kyi's mandate and all but crushing military-backed candidates at the polls. Without providing evidence, the military claimed electoral fraud and has now used these claims to justify its overthrow of the government. The Burmese military has proven themselves very capable of slaughtering its own people. So we have a, a, a extremely, you know, troubling situation from here on uh, because of the pretense of civility in politics, the pretense of democratization is finished. A country with a long, violent history now headed into a new period of deep uncertainty. Now, Becky, there have been a, a growing chorus of international voices, uh, heads of state from Europe, the U.S., the U.N., Australia, New Zealand, calling for the military to immediately release uh, the detained government officials. Meanwhile, one of the only functioning TV stations in Myanmar, the military-owned channel, has been running some really classic military coup programming. We may be able to show it to you now. It's just basically a, an endless loop of images like this showing and, and celebrating uh, the military that have now seized power again uh, and disenfranchised millions of voters months after the November 8th election. Mike, thoughts on that? Just when you think that things might be getting better, all comes nope. back. Yep. Uh they took it really hard. Like, you watch them just say that they were literally arresting people at night. Yeah. So they were just like, we're going to do it. Let's just overthrow this current government and we're going to detain them. So it gets worse from this point. This is when it just happened, right, on the 1st. So, as always, it always gets worse before it gets better, mm -hmm. right? We're a month later than that now. So, um... I did find an article from Reuters. I do like Reuters a lot. They had a short time frame with a lot of good information that I wanted to, to share. If you can open that up, Mike. All right. So, um, February 1st, Ensen Suyui, President Win Mina, and other senior figures from their National League of Democracy are detained in an early morning raid. Heard about that. The military declares a state of emergency for a year says it carried out the detentions in response to alleged election fraud, handing power to Army Chief Ming Ang Hain. Now, did they say anything about evidence or anything like that? No. No, they just detained him. They literally just took over. That's what it sounds like. A tyrannical government. Written before she was detained, urging people to protest the military coup. The junta removes 24 ministers and deputies, naming 11 replacements. So they remove these people, and they put 11 in their place to take over again. This is the first day. First day. Second day, Mike. Uh, Minang Hlaing tells the first meeting of his new government it was inevitable the army would have to take power after its protest over alleged election fraud. Vehicle horns and pans be uh, being struck are heard around Yangon after dark in protest against the coup. So Facebook removes a page linked to Myanmar's military-owned TV network in a measure to protect against harm, according to a spokeswoman. 
February 3rd, staff at 70 hospitals and medical departments across Myanmar stops work to protest against the coup. Wow. Others wear red ribbons as part of civil disobedience campaign. The NLD's office in several regions of the country are raided with documents, computers, and laptops taken. Myanmar police file charges against Sui Yui and seeks her detention until February 15th. A police document says military officers who searched Sui Yui's resident found six handheld radios that were imported illegally and used without permission. Huh, weird, communicating with a tyrannical government holding everything hostage. Weird. Charges are also filed against President Win Wink for violating protocols to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Government orders blockage on Facebook as well as its Messenger and WhatsApp services for the sake of stability. February 4th, a group of protests wave banners a group of protesters wave banners and chant anti-coup slogans in Mandalay in the first such street protest against the army takeover. At least 3 are arrested. United Nations Security Council calls for the release of Su Kie and others uh, detained by the military, but stops short of condemning the coup. U.S. President Joe Biden says Myanmar's military should relinquish power and release officials and activists in his first foreign policy address. Another leading figure in Aung San Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy Party, Win Hattin, 79, is arrested. February 5th, teachers and some government workers join the civil disobedience movement saying they will not work for the authorities unless the elected government is restored. Seems reasonable. Aung San Suu Kyi lawyers says that he was unable to meet with her because she is still being questioned. He calls for the immediate release for her and President Nguyen. Japanese beverage group Karen Holdings say it's terminating its alliance with Myanmar's economic holding public company, which has links to the military. February 6, blockage ordered on Twitter and Instagram where protesters had been sharing information. Junta then ordered black out of the entire internet. The entire internet, Mike, gone. It's pretty hefty. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'll look up Google. Nope, no Google for you, nothing. <laughs> That's it. Tens of thousands of people take to the streets to protest against the coup in Yangon and other cities. February 7th, protesters sweep Myanmar with tens of thousands in Yangon and elsewhere in the biggest show of mass anger in 2000, since 2007 protests that helped lead to democratic reforms. Internet access is restored, but social media platforms remain blocked. Hmm. That was the first seven days, Mike. And just those first seven days, things sound like they started to get bad enough that something's about to go down. Yeah, they uh, definitely are trying to do everything they possibly can to shut people down. Definitely. And the people are fighting it. Are fighting it. As tens they of thousands. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, so this article was posted on February 22nd and wanted to cover a section that I thought was important. Uh, to cover. So this is from CNN. Mike, if you can uh, read that for us. In an ominous statement Sunday evening, the military junta said it could use the uh, use lethal force against protesters. Here's where it gets bad. This apparently. is where it comes. Yep. 
It is found that protesters have raised their incitement towards riot and anarchy mob on the day of 22nd of February. Protesters are now inciting the people, especially emotional teenagers and youth, to a confrontation path where they will suffer the loss of life. Uh, the state of administration, the name of the military junta now controlling the country, declared Sunday evening. Video from social media Sunday night and Monday morning showed barbed wire blocking roads to some foreign embassies in the largest city, Yangon, the focus point for many recent protests. Footage also showed what appeared to be police and military vehicles rolling through the streets. Protesters called for all offices and shops to be closed on Monday, with activists urging all citizens to join the protest known as the Five Twos, or the 2222 strike. 2222, in reference to Monday's date. Uh, second of, 22nd of February 2021 will be a big historic day. Keep watching us and pray for us, friends. Um, so, Mike, any thoughts on that? Well, I was expecting that post to talk about a lot more violent things happening, but it sounds like the build-up for what's about to happen. It is definitely a build-up from what's about to happen. I was trying to find um, what what I could find, anyways, for like being able to piece together when things were happening so you could see it in like a timeline yeah. sequence, which is difficult. <laughs> but... Um, so that's where we're at right now. It's the 22nd, right? The yep. 20, yeah. So that's the 22nd. So um, let's go down. Um, and lethal force is now allowed against protesters. Yep. This is going to get bad. Yep. So this is on the 27th. Uh, so this article was posted on the 27th and wanted to cover some pertinent information from it. Images show bodies laying in pools of blood on the streets. The injured frantically carried away with bullet wounds peppering their limbs and protesters huddled behind makeshift shields and barricades as Myanmar's security forces Sunday launched their most violent and deadly crackdown on peaceful demonstrators since the first coup. At least 18 people dead and more than 30 were injured, according to the United Nations Human Rights Office, as police attempted to extinguish a month-long nationwide protest movement against the military coup which ousted the democratically elected government of official leaders Aung San Suu Kyi. Activist groups have put the death toll and number of injured as higher. In one image that was shared widely on social media, none in northern Kachin state, her hands raised, knelt on the ground and pleaded with a line of riot police to stop arresting protesters. Myanmar is like a battlefield. Charles Mangbo, the Archbishop in Yangon and Myanmar's first Catholic Cardinal, said on Twitter, Before Sunday, protests had seen sporadic violence in some areas, but there appeared to be a coordinated change to attack from security forces across the country who opened fire on protesters, used tear gas, flashbangs, and stun grenades in towns and cities. Even before midday, reports of police using lethal force against peaceful demonstrators started to trickle into as thousands of people took to the streets once again, calling for the military to hand back power. The UN Human Rights Office said that the deaths reportedly occurred as a result of live ammunition fired into crowds in multiple locations, including the largest city Yangon in southeastern Duai, Mandalay, 
Southeastern Mike, Central Bago, and Polkuku, according to a statement from the spokeswoman Revin Shamadison. The statement condemned the escalating violence and urged the military to immediately halt the use of force against peaceful protesters, saying that the people of Myanmar have the right to assemble peacefully and demand the restoration of democracy. In a tweet, United States Secretary of State Anthony Blinken condemned violence in the country. We condemn the Burmese security forces, aberrant violence against the people of Burma, and will continue to promote accountability for those responsible. We stand firmly with the courageous people of Burma and encourage all countries to speak with one voice in support of their will. He said referring to Myanmar as Burma, its former name, in Yangon, Noi Noi Ank Klink Nine, an internet network engineer was among the first casualties, according to Reuters. The day before he was killed, he posted on Facebook about the increasing violent military crackdown, asking hashtag how many dead bodies UN need to take action, in reference to the United Nations. Video from an apartment above recorded the sound of gunshots of Noi Noi lay slumped outside the gate of the Camp Township High School wearing a construction worker hard hat. His phone in his hand, several protesters could have seen sprinting past the body before five gained courage to carry him away. Crouching as they run, according to the video from Myanmar Now and Reuters. Echoing Noi Noi words, calling for more action from the international community, UN Special Repertoire for Human Rights in Myanmar, Tom Andrews said on Twitter, words of condemnation are welcome but insufficient. We must act. As the Genta ratchets up its brutal attacks against peaceful protests in Myanmar, the world must ratchet up its response, he said. Um, before we continue, Mike, it's difficult to see the UN identify these problems, have their own council say that there's problems, and the UN not do anything about it. And then Biden's like, hey, you shouldn't do this, shouldn't have this coup, you should let them go. And what have we done? Not anything that I've been able to read. Yeah. So it's been really infuriating reading about this country in, in dire need with a tyrannical government that's literally just killing people because they can. Yeah, I mean, what did we read in 2015? Somewhere in there, we came in and tried to help them and set up. They the wouldn't do it. They didn't want our help, right? And now, this and it sounds like this is where they need help more than yeah. then. And now, we're, yeah, we need to. We're not stepping in, and we need to. And I don't know if we did it in 2015, if we were able to solidify that, if we were able to give them, you know, political stability and help them with that. Maybe this wouldn't have happened. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It just seemed to me like a cautionary tale, and now it's worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, that was just my thoughts on it. Um Mike, if you can read this next section for the UN Ambassador Defines Military. The latest clashes came a day after the ruling military junta fired the country's United Nations Ambassador for making an 
making an impassioned plea at the UN General Assembly for international action to help overturn the coup. On Saturday, state television MRTV announced UN Ambassador Kiamo Toon's removal, saying he had abused the power and responsibilities of a permanent ambassador and that he betrays the country. Speaking to, uh, to Reuters follow, following his firing, Kiamo Toon said that he decided to fight back as long as I can. Addressing the assembly in New York on Friday, Kiamo Toon defied the military rulers now in the control of the country and urged the UN Security Council and the world to use any means necessary to rescue the people of Myanmar and hold the military to account. We need further, strongest possible action from the international community to immediately end the military coup to stop oppressing the innocent people, to return the state of power to the people, and to restore the democracy, he said. Kamotun said he was delivering the speech on behalf of Suu Kyi's government, which, was a, which won a landslide in November 8 elections. Suu Kyi has now been detained alongside other government leaders, including President Win Myint, which we already read about. In a show of defiance, the ambassador also flashed the three-fingered Hunger Games salute used by protesters on the streets of Myanmar and adopted from recent protests in neighboring Thailand. The diplomat received a rare round of applause from his UN colleagues at the end of the speech. The new U.S. ambassador to the UN, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, praised the envoy's courageous remarks. The United States continues to strongly condemn the military coup in Myanmar, she said Friday, addressing the assembly, and we condemn the security forces' brutal killing of unarmed people. Thomas Greenfield added that the U.S. will continue to provide life-saving humanitarian assistance, including to Rohingya and other vulnerable populations in Chin, Kachin, Rakhine, and Shan states. Sounds to me like we are verbally supportive, but right. we're not doing more than that. And that's not good. If I can remember right, this is not from what I've read. This is from what I... Because I try to keep track of news and things like that, listen to the BBC, stuff like that. It seemed to me in my memory banks, Biden and the administration were ridiculed for not being hard enough and then they did sanctions so they were trying to sanction off money from the military government still trying to help financially but there's only so much money can do right <laughs> and that seems to be all that i can recall in this whole <laughs> this whole thing it's absurd so and then to think that Nobody else has stepped up either. Yeah, it's insane. I don't know why we haven't. I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. It's just really frustrating. Um, can we play this uh, clip, please, Mike? This top one. Yeah. So before we um, play this, um, this is the. Is this the UN representative? Oh, I think, yeah, I think this might be the guy who got fired. Yeah, that that's what I thought. I just wanted to clarify, just for everybody to know who this was. 
specifically. But let me just read you what the UN Special Rapporteur for Myanmar has said. He is basically saying that the junta is shooting down people in cold blood using 12-gauge shotguns, 38-millimeter rifles, semi-automatic rifles against peaceful protesters who pose no threat. You've just talked about snipers in high, you know, at, at high points taking aim. What do you think the aim of the junta is now? Because up until now, they were using water cannon, they were using rubber bullets. Why do you think now, a month after the coup, they have turned to this escalation, escalation of live fire? In the way, it's not surprising. That's what exactly what happened in 1988. That's what happened in 1997. That's what happened in 2007. That's what happened in in uh, in uh, uh, 2017, and now it's happening again. So it's like repetition of the same crime against humanity. And I'm afraid this is what has been happening to ethnic minority states like a Chin, Korean, Rakhine, Shan, Moon, Chin. This is what we have been the, the, the living on uh, for the last 50 years. Uh, they are bringing the bombs by the fighter jets. You know, it seems like they have the license to kill. They have the license to, to rape, the license to torture, and the license to crime against humanity. Yeah. Pretty intense stuff, I would say. Um, Mike, yeah. any thoughts on that clip? It's interesting that he talks about that they have this license to kill and they they're committing this crime against humanity as we just talked about the fact that nobody has stepped in physically at this point and uh because nobody has stepped in it it's almost like they have that license and yeah. that they can just run freely and do what they want and uh gosh something needs to change yeah things need to stop i agree and and i thought it was kind of telling like maybe that reporter was trying to grasp for straws didn't know what to really say so like oh well if they're using non-lethal force then why aren't they doing it now and he's like well they've been doing it for the last 50 years yeah so he's like it's not surprising that they're doing it because they've had a bad track record yeah so i thought that was a very important clip um as i was going through and i wanted to share that with everyone just this last clip and then uh, we'll wrap things up, Mike. So this is a, um, while we're waiting for this to go, this is a interview from a police officer from Myanmar that fleed and talks about what he was told to do and how he left because he wasn't willing to do it. Myanmar police officers say they refused orders to shoot at protesters against Myanmar's military coup. The daily protests have faced deadly crackdowns, and at least one officer says he was told to shoot to kill. Reuters has spoken to three police officers, including Tha Peng, a lance corporal that fled to India. From the 6th to the 26th of February, the people freely held demonstrations and protests. However, from the 28th of February, protests weren't allowed we had to disperse the people. And if they didn't obey, we were ordered by our commanding officers to shoot them. I 
couldn't follow or obey my officer to shoot my people, and I fled my country. A leading advocacy group says more than 60 protesters have been killed and more than 1,800 detained. The 27-year-old said he had no choice but to leave his family behind in the middle of the night, including his two daughters. He says he was one of six colleagues who disobeyed an order to shoot from a superior officer on February 27th in the town of Kampat. Reuters could not independently verify his or other accounts near the Myanmar-India border. But according to classified Indian police documents, his account is similar to other police officers who have fled. They had also refused orders to shoot anti-coup protesters. Myanmar's military junta did not respond to a Reuters request for comment. The junta has said it is acting with utmost restraint in handling what it has described as demonstrations by riotous protesters. They also accused the protesters of attacking police and harming national security and stability. Indian officials say around 100 people from the country, mostly policemen and their families, have taken shelter in Mizoram's Jampai district bordering Myanmar. Zoram Thanga is the local chief minister. What we have to do is only to give them food and shelter, because this is humanitarian point of view. Beyond that, everything depends upon the central government of India. It is their subject. Ba Pengs is among the first cases reported by the media of police fleeing Myanmar. For him, he says he didn't want to break the law. <laughs> The duty of the police is to protect the people. In fact, the shooting of people by the Myanmar police and army is against the law. So I couldn't follow those orders. It's really sad. Um, and there are people, I didn't put this on here, but there's people getting deported now from India back to Myanmar. Hmm. So people are getting deported now. I don't think anyone's getting involved in it because they have their own stuff right now. I think they're having their own kind of civil war with some um, terrorists going on in that country. So hmm. it's just a crazy world right now. Um, anyways, I thought it was important to share this. I know not a whole lot of people know about it or at least you know, the history of Myanmar. I thought it was important to bring it up. Um, I wanted to do something a little bit more lighthearted, but I really felt like I needed to talk about it, especially with what's been going on the last month. So, yeah. Any kind of thoughts, Mike? Or Yeah, as we were watching that video of that police officer who fled, I, um, I mean, kudos to him and, and the others who do that, but I, it just made me feel sad, you know, that uh, I'm the kind of person that, I, I don't care who it is. I value human life. Right. And uh, it's just sad to see this kind of thing going on anywhere. Definitely. Now, let's say if Myanmar was Iraq and we got a lot of their oil or something or our citizen, or sorry, our allies, you know, was really reliant on that, I'm sure we would probably respond a lot sooner respond a lot faster but because there's not a lot of 
incentive incentive thank you mike to do it we haven't you know and like there there's been this phrase that i heard is that we shouldn't be the world police but we should be the world's medics they're literally asking for help they are we they literally got rid of an ambassador from the un that was that was removed from the government in myanmar and he's like, hey, we need a lot of help. And the UN's like, oh, that's not cool. We haven't done anything. Just so infuriating, you know. Right. And, and I, I, I do feel like we have intervened at times that it just didn't make sense and we shouldn't have. Right. But this is a time, like you said, they're literally asking for help. They need help, definitely. And we're not giving it to them. And I, I don't know how many dead bodies they need to have. Like, how, how, how much of a of a death rate that they need for it to be worth their time but it's just it's really 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 well ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening to our podcast probably wasn't one of the uh more i guess you would say not entertaining uh easy to listen to but i thought it was important all the same hope you guys have a great night thanks for joining Thank you for supporting our podcast. If you would like to check out our sources from today's episode, please visit our blog at soberdiscussions.blogspot.com. And if you would like to join the discussion, email us at soberdiscussions at gmail.com.